In Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through to 40. Acts chapter 8, verse 26 through to 40. Just going to read this one together. And if there's anyone who's willing, um, there's a little section uh, where, in, in verse 32, where um, the scripture is being read aloud uh, by this Ethiopian eunuch. So I'll just give you a warning. You can just jump in when I say, ready, and uh, you can read out aloud. All right, here we go. Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went there with an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot. And he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was this. Ready? Let's pause there for a minute. I got somebody else to read it because traditionally, that's what this Ethiopian eunuch was doing. He was on his chariot reading the scripture out aloud, which is surprising for us. We just don't really see that many people wandering down the street or going along the highway reading scripture out loud. Uh, So you can imagine the situation of Philip here. He's just walking alongside a chariot and he hears the scripture being read aloud. Let's keep going. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. All right, let's get into it. The the place that we find ourselves is in Acts, Acts chapter 8, and up until this point, what we're actually noticing is that the church is just about to explode, right? The Holy Spirit has gotten up to some marvelous things and uh, the church of God is about to explode. I want you for a moment to imagine with me a family, a father, a mother, perhaps four children. This family exudes life. This family is, has this contagious nature about it. They're, they're productive and active citizens in their community, in their church. And all those who come near them just want to spend more time there. They're not like this self-righteous sort of... Um, um, uh, what, what do you say, like uh, um, they're the really good ones and you sort of get near and you can't quite become as good as them and so you sort of turn it off. No, no, no. You just love this family and you're drawn to them. Life just comes out of them. It just comes overflowing out. There's something incredibly special about this family. As the family grows and the children become older, well, the father and mother decide that they want to adopt and welcome more children into the family. Well, naturally, there's several reactions from the children. 
some of the children are actually a bit concerned because of what might happen to their family. The family might change. All the life that they enjoyed might not be the same anymore. They're a little sceptical, maybe even a little jealous about what they have, and they're just wondering how this change might affect them. Then the other children are just overjoyed about the prospect of sharing the good stuff they have with another child who literally has nothing. On a massive scale, this is actually where we find ourselves in the book of Acts. The gospel is beginning to spread outside the Jewish community, which until now had been really the only place where God's presence and God's people dwelled. The Jews, that was it. And now it's actually starting to creep out of the family and other people from outside are coming and becoming part of the family. Well, some like the Jewish leaders don't want the good times to change. They just want it to stay the way it is. But others just can't hold back. They're compelled by the Holy Spirit to go and share the good stuff. This is a story of one of the latter, Philip the Evangelist. There are two big ideas I want to explore today. The first is being led by the Spirit, and the second is faithful evangelism. But before I go there, I just want to, just want to pause for a minute. If Philip is walking down the road in a desert place, it's probably pretty dry, and he's just going to be observing things around him. So I want to just pause for a moment and, and just observe what's going on here in this text. The Holy Spirit is up to some mysteriously glorious undertakings in this season of the church, and this scene is nothing short of incredible. Philip is directed by an angel. Anybody here been directed by an angel before? No hands. No, because it's a fairly unlikely event. Uh, we just don't see it that often. Yet it does happen. I'm not, um, I'm not saying it would never happen. It still happens. God still sends angels to get his people to do the stuff he wants them to do. But Philip is directed by an angel to take a walk away from where all the successful evangelism is happening, out onto a desert road in the hottest part of the day, leading toward a desert that just happened to have a watering hole along the way in a desert. At this stage, there was no reason given for his mission, but his obedience was immediate. Then the Spirit asks him or commands him to go up to a chariot. So he runs up. It's not just like a dawdle. Jeez, I wonder what, I wonder what God's saying here. Am I meant to go to the chariot? No. Am I meant to go back? I don't know. I'm, no, he's just like, Holy Spirit said, boom, I'm there. So he starts running up to this chariot. And the chariot, he suddenly hears this scripture being proclaimed. The Old Testament scripture. He looks inside and it's not a usual Jew going from Jerusalem to Gaza. No, it's an Ethiopian. An Ethiopian. He runs up to the chariot and the good news of Jesus Christ is about to be proclaimed by a Jew to a castrated male of the black race from Ethiopia, a country on the edge of the known world who was not yet a complete convert to the Jewish faith. Now it's possible that there were Jews living in Ethiopia, such as this eunuch, but it's clear that they'd not yet been fully converted to the faith of Jesus Christ, nor had they been baptised. Eunuchs, you get into surprise here. Like This is an unusual situation. This is, this is pretty wild, in fact. Uh, eunuchs were certainly limited in the way that they could worship. Even if it was a Jewish eunuch, 
He was limited in what he could actually do because when he went to the temple, he wasn't allowed into the inner court of the temple to worship God with all the other Jews. He had to stay on the outer. So there was this sort of, we'll keep them out and the Jews will stay in. That was the custom. That was the law. That's sort of just the way it was. The eunuch didn't seem unhappy about this. He was just happy to be able to go and worship God somewhere and be obedient to God. It keeps going. Uh, <clears throat> All this was about to change. This event is the beginning of the fulfillment of what Christ's death had accomplished. That both Jew, God's chosen people, and Gentile, everyone else, could now hear the good news about Jesus and become part of God's family. This is amazing. We would not be sitting here if a faithful Philip didn't get out and share God's word with this Ethiopian eunuch. This was the beginning. I mean, he was a Jew, perhaps because he loved God and followed God, but this was the beginning of the spread of the gospel to the rest of the world. And we, as God's church, sit here today, partly uh, in thanks to Philip for being faithful to what God had told him to do. But it doesn't stop there. It keeps going. God had made an incredible promise specifically to eunuchs about 450 years earlier. If you've got your Bible, go there. Isaiah chapter 56, verse 3 to 5. Just three chapters after what Philip was reading. So no doubt, he probably continued to read this on his way back to Ethiopia. This is what it said. For thus says the Lord, Isaiah 56, verse 3 to 5. Thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant... I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. You see, the gospel will one day, 450 years earlier, 450 years earlier, God made this promise that one day eunuchs might actually become part of the family of God, fully, fully part of the family of God. And they wouldn't just be sons and daughters anymore, they'd be sons and daughters of God. This is brilliant. It, like, can you see the majesty of God in this moment where he's orchestrating this event so that his promise could be fulfilled? It should actually get us really excited. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because then he gets baptized at this random watering hole, possibly the only watering hole uh, between Jerusalem and Gaza. And uh, he desperately wants to get baptized to seal this commitment that he's just made to uh, Jesus Christ. Amazing. And then the Holy Spirit decides to snatch Philip away and he finds himself in a whole other city. Now, this, I don't know about you, I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but um, this transportation of people, it's not the only time it's happened in Scripture or in history, but the Holy Spirit seems to be able to transport people from one place to another without them doing the full journey, without them doing the whole walk or the run or the chariot journey, whatever it is. This is amazing. The Holy Spirit is incredibly powerful. The Holy Spirit is incredibly amazing in the way that he can speak and direct people and move and shake and do all the things that he needs to do to get his kingdom work done, even to the point of transporting someone from one place to another. You excited? Isn't this amazing? God is up to incredible things here. Here's point number one. The Spirit leads. 
Romans chapter 8 verse 14 says that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. I raise this because I don't want you to sit here and go, wow, man, Philip must have had something with God. That's amazing. And just think it was Philip's deal. No, because if you're sitting here today and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have the same Holy Spirit living in you. I don't want you to feel like, oh, that's just their experience. Oh, that's just the experience of people in another country. No, no, no. This is the experience of a believer in Jesus Christ. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. But here's the question. What does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? First, I want to start by saying that the Holy Spirit, as God, is a free agent and can behave in wonderfully mysterious ways. Psalm 115.3 shows us that God does as he pleases. So what I'm about to teach is by no means a box that limits what the Holy Spirit can do. Rather, I want it to be a way for us as finite human beings to discern the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit and his working in our daily lives. It's apparent, first of all, that God cannot ever be divided against himself. God cannot work in a way that is opposed to what is said in one place and then does in another. God cannot do that. Matthew 12, 22 to 28 uh, is the time when Jesus was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. And Jesus replies to the, to the uh, boys who are saying this. He says, uh, the kingdom of, uh, sorry, a kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. It simply cannot stand. And what Jesus was saying is that no kingdom can survive if it's working against itself, in contradiction to its laws or in opposition against its own authority. What I mean is this, as the Holy Spirit leads a person, he will never work in contradiction or against who God is or what he has revealed in his word. I've heard stories of people saying, I was led by the Spirit of God, I was led by God to go and do something that completely contradicted Scripture. I was led by God uh, to um, leave my wife and children. I was led by God to start dating a non-Christian girl, and I was a Christian. And then I told her that God told me to break up with her. Well, that's pretty confusing, especially for that girl, whoever that girl is. I was led by God. And so I think there's ways in which we can actually be discerning in how we actually listen to people when they say they've been led by God. I think there's some really uh, great ways for us to help discern what that actually looks like. Uh, It simply cannot be that the Holy Spirit would lead a man or a woman to do the exact opposite of what God has revealed in Scripture. What this reveals is that as humans, we are prone to have wandering hearts, and we need an anchor, particularly in relation to this particular part of life, being led by the Spirit. There's numerous cases where the Holy Spirit has given direct guidance to people uh, all throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament... There's one place where God's people were entering into all sorts of agreements and doing so on the basis of their own wisdom and wit. So in actual fact, he said in Isaiah 30 that they must not enter into agreements with others unless they were of his spirit. Ezekiel says that the spirit of the Lord on numerous occasions lifted him up and brought him to one place or another, similar to the one we heard in this story of Philip. Those who knew Elijah the prophet in Old Testament times were expectant that the Spirit of the Lord will probably catch him up and cast him upon some mountain or in some valley. 
you can see the Holy Spirit is leading and directing people all over the place. Then Jesus himself had said that he'd been driven by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he would be tempted for 40 days and 40 nights. But as believers who are discerning what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit and further led by the Holy Spirit, in most cases, it's probably not going to be as dramatic as these examples. I'm not saying it would never happen. I'm saying in many cases, it's just not going to be as dramatic as these. So what does it look like? If those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. This is a marker. This is like a a clear distinctive of what it means to be a child of God. Then what does it mean? Project Church, we ought to be a people who have a hankering to be led by him. We ought to be hungry and and desperate to be led by God's Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.16 reveals uh, some of this war that goes on inside of us. This war between our flesh and the spirit. You've got the flesh warring against uh, what the spirit is wanting to do. And, uh, and we get a little bit of an image of what it means to live in step with the Holy Spirit or live being led by the Holy Spirit. If you've got your Bible, uh, go to Galatians 5 verse 16. Galatians 5 verse 16. <clears throat> As you've submitted your life to Jesus, what you want, what you love, and how you make decisions will be changing for the rest of your days. The hope is that it will be meshing tighter and tighter and tighter with the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is leading you into. But let's take a look. Uh, Galatians 5 verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. So here's this sort of comparative. You've got the warring flesh, and then it it juxtaposes that next to the spirit and being led by the spirit. Here we go. Uh, the, The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But, and this is where it switches, this is the, the imagery now of a life led by the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Jesus Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You can see here the stark difference between the life lived moment by moment giving into the desires of the flesh It then implies that a Christian ought to live moment by moment responding to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's more than just an intellectual process. Here at the school, we have um, a gift of the... uh, No, no, it's the the Fruit of the Spirit Award. And this is where teachers can observe 
um, the fruit of the Spirit in the students and give them a little award to say, great, great to see, keep going, and just encourage them in that. But it's more than that. It's more than just an intellectual effort to uh, be joyful, or it's more than just an intellectual effort to understand what love is, or what peace is, or patience, or kindness, and then go and live them. If you were to do just this, this would literally be just a moral life. Anyone can live a morally good life and do these things quite easily. What's different about a believer, what's different about a Christian life is that the Holy Spirit, God himself, comes to dwell in the believer and there's this relationship going on between the believer and the Holy Spirit. A person who loves God is filled with the Spirit and therefore in relationship with the Spirit wants to give in to what the Spirit desires. Instead of just giving in to every desire of your flesh, Instead of just giving in to every thought that comes to mind, instead of just giving in and doing what your bodily flesh wants to do, uh, instead you're led and you give in to the Holy Spirit. This Holy Spirit is more than just a, some weird force that's out there. The Holy Spirit is more than just some sort of breezy wind that wafts around and maybe somewhere in there it'll mix with you and might take you somewhere. No, no, the Holy Spirit is God himself, a person living in you. And as the Holy Spirit lives in you, you get to relate to him. Now, you can either oppose him and reject him, and every sense of the Holy Spirit leading you in these strong desires of love and joy and goodness and patience and kindness, you could resist them. For males in particular, I just think, man, this is pretty strong. Uh, For males, it's pretty tempting just to go it's too weak to be patient it's too weak to have real joy it's like you gotta be tough you gotta be hard you gotta you gotta be masculine i do think you have to be masculine men (laughs) but you don't have to resist the holy spirit to do so in fact you'll become more of a man when you give in to the holy spirit as he leads you and some really clear fruit of this are The fruit of the Spirit, the love and the joy and the peace and the patience and the kindness and so on. Men and women alike. If we are to walk by the Spirit, we should want this more and more. This should be the changing of our affections, the changing of our desires to want the leading of the Holy Spirit. To relate to Him in such a way that you sense Him with you in each and every day, that you sense him as you, as you consider making decisions, that you're, you're understanding his word in such a way that uh, God's word becomes illuminated to you and you submit to the God's word. So you see this beautiful intermingling going on here. There's so many different analogies. Um, one analogy that Jaden actually shared with me the other day is one of an orchestra. And as an orchestra, you um, take your part in the orchestra, however many piece orchestra it is. You've got the strings, the brass, the, um, the drums, the percussion. You've got all these different parts working in unison. And then you've got the conductor at the front. Now, if you've got an inexperienced um, orchestra member, their main concentration is to follow the music and to focus on whatever they're doing. I do this because I learnt the violin when I was younger and I was in the orchestra. I never made it to first-class violin. But uh, in second class, 
I was a little inexperienced, and I had to concentrate on playing the violin and following the music so that I didn't mess up, because you can really hear a mess up when you've got uh, your place in an orchestra. But instead, um, think of this experienced musician. They and their instrument are like one. Like They don't really have to think that hard about playing their instrument. They're able to hear all of the different sounds around them and blend in beautifully with all these different sounds. And what the conductor can do with an experienced musician is the conductor can take them and lead them away from the music just a little and then bring them back and it's not going to be a big mess up. It's not going to be a big, you know, the, the, the orchestra is way out of whack. No, they're able to follow the lead of the conductor and then come back and join the music again, join, join the sheet music again. And this is a little what it's like uh, with the Holy Spirit leading a believer. Now, you've got to start somewhere. It's, it's not like instantly you have to be Philip and being led out into a desert road somewhere. No, you have to start somewhere. You have to learn to love and appreciate and trust the Holy Spirit somewhere. And so you begin to follow his leadings uh, with the passions and desires that he's building in you, he's producing in you. And, uh, and as the Spirit leads, he starts to lead in places that are a little risky and you're not too sure about, but you know that he's leading you anyway. And you can go there confidently because that's where he's taking you. The Holy Spirit leading is more for us probably a day-to-day, him producing these desires in us and us submitting to them, us giving in to them. So when you think about being led by the Spirit. He's this deeply personal, present Spirit who leads and guides you right here in the here and now. I wonder, do you sense His presence producing these strong desires in you? Do you even sense the war against your own flesh? If you sense that, that's a really good thing. If you sense this war going on inside of you, like, I could really blow my stack right now, but there's a war going on and just I need to withhold. It's probably evidence, if you're a believer, it's probably evidence that the Holy Spirit is doing good things in you. And you should keep giving in to the Holy Spirit and not to your flesh. And when you mess it up, you've still got hope because there's a Jesus who died so that he would cover that sin and you could get on track again. Here's two signposts maybe that you could check as you sense the leading of the Holy Spirit. Number one, is your relationship with God deep and personal at present? Do you sense that his will is being done in your life or do you just sense that you're on your own, heading down your own track? That's probably a good sign that you probably need to come back in sync with the conductor again and let him lead you where he will. Signpost number two, does his leading sync with God's word and in building his kingdom? Is what the Holy Spirit's leading you into help to sync with God's word and does it help to build his kingdom in whatever you're doing? Now, it doesn't mean everyone has to drop their work and uh, go and be a missionary somewhere. No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that every person has to finish up their work and come and work for the church. No, that doesn't mean that either. But it does mean that you get to follow the Holy Spirit's leading where you work and in your neighborhood and in your community and in wherever you are on mission with him. What I hope you can see this morning is that as I've spoken of the Holy Spirit's leading, I've wanted to turn to Scripture to give an anchor. These two are not interchangeable. 
It's not like the Holy Spirit leads this way and Scripture goes that way. No, 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 no. Those two meet together. They work in unison with one another. And so we ought to be lovers of God's Word and treasuring God's Word and then being led by the Holy Spirit to do wonderful and marvelous things wherever the Holy Spirit leads and guides us. The leading of the Spirit is synonymous with knowing and treasuring the Word of God and letting your desires then mesh together with His. You can see this in Philip. He's just a stellar example of a man walking in step with the Spirit and treasuring God's Word. As your wants and desires begin to change to stay in step with the Spirit, you'll actually most certainly begin to want to share the good stuff of the Gospel with others. Here's the big idea number two. Faithful evangelism. This story shows that faithful evangelism is led by the Spirit, has the good news of Jesus at its core, and leads to rejoicing. The eunuch from Ethiopia was indeed a God-fearing man who was willing to travel the long distance to Jerusalem to worship God. He was seeking to know God by opening his word and was now given the name Son of God, being baptized into the family of God. It's clear that God shows no favorites. Acts 10, verse 34 to 35, is where Peter uh, basically admits, and he goes, I can see the truth here. God doesn't show favoritism. If any man from any nation is willing to submit to God, then he can be saved. God shows no favorites here. This shapes our mission as God's church and also the way we lean into his mission and the people of his mission. If God shows no favorites and the good news about Jesus is for all people from every nation, then we as the church must have our attitude aligned. I was sitting down at the carnival parade yesterday. Uh, It's a stunning example of how uh, all people from all different races and all different nations have actually come right to our doorstep. It it was a multicultural display. And to be honest, if, if I was really honest with you, part of it was like, oh, but this is Toowoomba in Australia. I was probably a little more like the brother in the family who's like, oh, but there's people coming in and I'm just not sure I'd just like that. That's part of me, if I was being honest, was thinking that. But then I got to thinking, hold on a minute. If all people from every nation can hear the gospel and be changed by the gospel... How should I view the people walking in the carnival parade? Now, it goes deeper than just a carnival parade. I think we're living in a nation where it's become very popular to make these divisions, almost like little nations within the nation. Whatever you identify as becomes the people you associate with. Those who agree with me can stay on my side, and those who disagree will become my enemies. And so you've got these nations almost warring with each other, these sort of subgroups all warring with each other about who's right and whose lifestyle is most correct. And Christianity just seems to be another one of these. It's not, but it seems to be another one, just on the platter of nations, of uh, little groups going on inside our nation of Australia. It reminds me of a metaphor about how God views his mission. I want you to have a look up here. It's a uh, very uh, sketchy drawing of a bookcase. A sketchy drawing of a bookcase. 
Now, on this bookcase, I want you to imagine that what we're about to do, and it's a metaphor, remember, this would never actually happen, uh, is that each shelf represents a different people group within our society. So you can imagine... And, uh, it, the, sorry, this, the, the social hierarchy is usually based on how much a person or earns or the power that they have. Now, it would never happen, like I said, but let's just imagine for the sake of this metaphor that people were divided into this social hierarchy. On the bottom shelf, you might find the criminals, the drug lords, and those who failed morally. Um, because we know in our society that anyone who fails morally is like the cheapest, dirtiest, lowest person in all of history. Um, and that's what you'd find on your bottom shelf. On the next shelf might be the homeless, the poor, and the most vulnerable people of our society. And then on the next shelf, you've got the working class tradies and their families. And then the next shelf might be the middle class people, like teachers, businessmen, social workers, police. Then there's the wise and intelligent doctors, surgeons, lawyers, and politicians. And the metaphor could keep going. Now, <clears throat> hang with me here. I could see, perhaps, maybe I'm wrong, that some of you are offended. Like, you put me on a lower shelf than I deserve to Gilmore. <laughs> I don't belong on the third shelf up. I should be on the top shelf. Actually, it's just not the Aussie way anyway. We don't do this stuff. Come on. Now, everyone deserves to be on the top shelf. No one deserves to be on the bottom shelf. But in reality, I mean, we had a conversation in our own community group where we began to, um, we began to just wonder who in reality do we think doesn't deserve the gospel? And I wonder if you thought about the same question. Who in reality, straight away you're like, oh, nobody, everybody deserves the gospel. But then in reality, like, who are the people you avoid and you're just like, no way. They don't deserve Jesus. And what we do is we actually set up this hierarchy without realising it, a little bit in our own minds. Maybe it's people from one of those subgroups, the LGBTIQ community. They're like on the lower shelf or a middle shelf. Or maybe it's people from a different race. They're like on the lower shelf. They're like the subhumans in Australia. Maybe it's like people from... I mean, the list could go on, right? But God doesn't view people that way. And in his kingdom, he doesn't view people that way. And in the gospel, he doesn't view people that way. God does not divide laterally. He doesn't start at the top and think, okay, I'll start with the really intelligent people and then I'll work my way down to the bottom. God does not think that way. God doesn't think of the rich and wealthy first. God actually thinks vertically. He divides people vertically. Do they believe or do they not believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God? You've got to know that as I preach this, it's just as challenging for my own heart. God doesn't divide horizontally, He divides vertically. Any person on any of these stages could hear the gospel and respond and find that they have a name called a child of God. 
any person could respond. The question is not what level of hierarchy are they and do they deserve the gospel. The question is, are they willing to respond to Jesus? But if they're willing to respond to Jesus, they need people who will tell them about Jesus. <clears throat> the good news of, gospel, of the gospel is not withheld from any shelf. Philip is already displaying this when he goes to the lower class Samaritans, that's what we found last week, and now an upper class official from a completely different race. The Holy Spirit leads to all sorts of people and you know, have no idea what the power of the gospel could do in that person's life. We don't know it, but perhaps the Ethiopian eunuch went back to Ethiopia and began to share the good news of Jesus, everywhere he went. We don't know that, but perhaps that's what happened. That one little incident on a road in the middle of a desert could have changed a whole nation. And I wonder if you consider this yourself. If we're led on mission and we're faithful evangelists, we know that God's word is precious. As the, uh, as the Ethiopian eunuch was re- reading Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 is this beautiful prophecy about the Christ who would come and be mistreated and abandoned and then put to death for the sake of all those people who were putting him to death. And he would take all of the sin of the world upon himself so that others might be set free from their sin and brought into eternal life. This was the landing pad for Philip to share the good news of Jesus. And he could do it with such ease. I mean, it's again a testament to the way that the Holy Spirit just puts people in their places at the right time, at the right moment. Uh, But what you see as well here is that uh, the Ethiopian eunuch had this modesty about him. And I want to just finish right here. Being led by the Spirit on the mission means you listen well. You listen well. Calvin, when he was contrasting the Ethiopian's modesty, said that he acknowledged his ignorance freely and frankly. Compare that with a person who is swollen-headed with confidence in their own abilities. He goes on, he said, that's also why the reading of Scripture bears fruit with such a few people today, because scarcely one in a hundred is to be found who gladly submits himself to teaching. As a faithful evangelist, it's right that we would hear God's word and be changed by it. It's right that we would be good listeners, not just to the Holy Spirit, so that it's some airy-fairy thing, but it's anchored in the rich, beautiful word of God that would lead us and shape us and change us. But then we've got the story to tell. In each of the situations with Philip, He didn't change the gospel message. He didn't say it was about Jesus one time and about the Holy Spirit another. He didn't say it was about Jesus being a good man one time and Jesus being the saviour the other. No, the faithful witness of the gospel didn't change. The message stayed the same. His situation changed. Lower class Samaritans, upper class Ethiopian eunuch, very, very wealthy treasurer of um, the Ethiopian queen's riches. You see that the shelf 
Philip's going from top shelf to bottom shelf. It's not concerning him where he's going, but he has this faithful message. And I wonder today, how, how well do you know a clear gospel message? Now, part of this, personally, I feel responsible as an elder to be equipping our church, the Project Church, to do this better and better and better. But I'm asking you as a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, how well do you know the story of Jesus Christ so that you could be led by the Spirit into a situation? Be listening so that you'd be able to ask a good question. Do you understand what you're reading? Maybe the person in front of you, in the line. Oh, what, what do you mean when you said that? Just really simple questions to get them thinking. And then the ability to actually respond with this gospel, good news message. So being led by the Spirit means being connected with the Word of God and being connected with God Himself. Being led by the Spirit means listening well as you follow Him on his mission. This week I've been um, praying. This is just where I'm going to close. Um, this week I've just been praying. We're, we're reading so much about the explosion of God's church here. If you're a regular at the project, you know that we've been going through Acts for the last number of weeks. And uh, the Holy Spirit is just incredible. And what God gets up to with individuals all the way throughout history is absolutely incredible. Um, there's a scripture out of Matthew. Matthew, um, later on in the book of Matthew, I can't remember the exact, exact scripture, but uh, it's where Jesus invites people to pray to the Lord of the harvest, that he'd send out laborers into the field and that much fruit would be gained for the kingdom of God. So I've been praying this week. I don't know. I, I felt like I should actually put the call out there to go, is there anybody in the Project Church Anybody at all who feels this hankering inside of them that uh, part of God's call for them might be to be a missionary somewhere in the world. And I'm, I just want to affirm you in it. I mean, you, you've got to test it out. Um, I'm, I'm, not saying, I'm not saying just take my word right now. I'm, I'm saying test it out. But if you feel like there's this dream and a passion inside of you for lost souls and you, you sense that God's leading you in the future, sometime in the future, to go out and do mission work somewhere in the world. I just want to affirm you in it. I want to encourage you to get into it. Find people who you can associate with and encourage you in that particular part of your calling, the evangelistic calling. God used Moses. Moses was a babbling fool. <laughs> he, couldn't, he couldn't string words together and he knew it. And God said, I'm the great I am and I'm sending you in to the most powerful senior person in Egypt to let my people go. So Moses goes in with the power of God. People throughout history get this sense that I haven't got what it takes, but they feel the call to go and be faithful missionaries. I just want to affirm you in it and encourage you in it. If that's where you sense God's leading you, if that's where you sense God's Holy Spirit has directed you and he's given a passion in your heart, don't reject it. Don't don't think that it's not a worthwhile vocation. It is. And God will be with you and God will show his power in you. I want to uh, share this story. This book is called Revolution in World Missions and it's by a man called K.P. Yohanan. Uh, he's an Indian man and uh, he has been a faithful 
um, evangelist, but also an apostle in just gathering um, hundreds and hundreds of pastors uh, to do the work of ministry in India. Let me just uh, share this story. The silence of the great hall in Cochin was broken only by soft, choking sobs. The Spirit of God was moving over the room with awesome power, convicting of sin and calling men and women into his service. Before the meeting ended, 120 of the 1,200 pastors and Christian leaders present made their way to the altar, responding to the call to the north. They were not saying, I'm willing to go, but rather, I'm going. They made the choice to leave home and village and family, business, career, and go where they would be hated and feared. Meanwhile, another 600 pastors pledged to return to their congregation and raise up more missionaries who would leave South India and go to the north. I stood silently in the holy hush, praying for the army of God crowded around the altar. I was humbled by the presence of God. As I prayed, my heart ached for these men who came to the altar, who many would be beaten and go hungry or be cold and lonely in the years ahead. How many would sit in jails for their faith? I prayed for the blessing and protection of God on them and for more sponsors across the seas to stand with them. They were leaving material comforts, family ties and personal ambitions. Ahead lay a new life among strangers, but I also knew they would, be wit- they would witness spiritual victory as many thousands turned to Christ and helped form new congregations in the unreached villages of North India. With me in the meeting was US Christian radio broadcaster David Maines, a serious student of revival. He joined us in Cochin as one of the conference speakers. He later testified how the Lord had taken over the meeting in a most unusual way. It would hardly have been different, he wrote later, had Jesus himself been bodily among us. The spirit of worship filled the hall. The singing was electrifying. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon the audience. Men actually groaned aloud. I have read of such conviction in early American history during times like the two great awakenings, but I had never anticipated experiencing it firsthand. But the Lord is not simply calling out a huge army of native workers. God is at work saving people from sin in numbers we never before dreamed possible. People are coming to Christ all across East Asia at an accelerated rate wherever salvation is being proclaimed. In some areas like India, Indonesia, the Philippines and Thailand, it's not uncommon now for the Christian community to grow as much in only one month as it formerly did in a whole year. Reports of mass conversion and church growth are being underplayed in the Western press. The exciting truth about God's working in Asia has yet to be told, partly because the press has limited access. Except in a few countries like Korea and the Philippines, the real story is not getting out. If you read a story like that and you hear a story like that and you feel this hankering to get on with what the Holy Spirit's leading you in, I want to affirm you in it. Get into that. Find out, talk to parents, talk to your pastors, talk to uh, whoever you can find to help you understand that calling and to help you follow God into that calling. I would love for the Project Church to be producing missionaries who would go out and bear much fruit for the gospel. So I want to pray for you in that. But I also want to pray for you if that's not what your hankering is, that, if that's not what your desire is, I wonder today if you sense the relationship with your Holy Spirit deep and personal. If you don't know Jesus yet and you've never known him and you've never walked with him, today's a good day to bend your knee to him. He is the Lord of the universe and he will save you from every wretched sin you have ever made and he will give you eternal life. 
Come and bend the knee before him today. And if you know Jesus, but you're not sensing the Holy Spirit leading, and you're not seeing the connection between the Holy Spirit and Scripture richly coming about in your life, then let me encourage you, keep pressing in. Pete read in Jude last week, get into the love of God. Stay in the love of God. Keep giving in to the Holy Spirit as he produces these desires in you. Don't reject it. It is the coolest thing to give in to the Holy Spirit. It is the most wonderful thing to give in to the Holy Spirit and see him produce a new man, a new woman, a new boy or a new girl. So let me pray.